You're listening to the Pittsburgh Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Craig Wolfley. J&D Waterproofing has you covered for all of your home repair needs. Waterproofing, windows, roofing, walls, siding, and so much more. J&D Waterproofing is a family-owned business with 70-plus, yeah, count them, 70-plus years of experience. Call them at 1-800-VERY-DRY. That's a double point, right, two-dub? That means go, double go. Sometimes it takes me a little while to get the hand signals down because two-dub's running there, back there, got the dials going and everything. I always rely on him. Give me the point. But we welcome today, and thank you for tuning in to the Craig Wolfley Podcast. I am so excited. We are honored and privileged to have with us Marine Corporal Brandon Rumbaugh, who is a Army – or I mean, sorry. Oh, boy, oh, boy. See, I told you I screwed things up. But you are a veteran of uh, both Afghanistan and Iraq. Correct, correct. And, uh, Brandon, first of all, I thank you, brother, for the tremendous service and the tremendous man you are. I appreciate you. And even though you can't see it because we're on the, air, on the air right here on microphones, I'm reaching over to shake my man's hand because it's something. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it, brother. It is, it is with the greatest respect and appreciation. And um, I am so privileged to have you here. Brandon, you have a tremendous story. You are a double amputee? Correct, correct. Okay, and that is, that's, you know, you want to jump in and start talking about things like that, but you're much more than that. I mean, this is, you. you your story was before, and your story was during, and your story is after, and all of these things are are stories that, that, that are large. So let's start from the beginning, man. Where, where are you from? So I, I was born in Philadelphia. And my family decided to move out to Pittsburgh when to I get was, righteous. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. We had to we had to make that jump early in life <laughs> if we wanted things to go right. So that's what we did. So we moved out here, um, Uniontown, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and uh, I was five or six years old. From there, I went to Uniontown High School um, up until about tenth grade, and then this is kind of where you know my story starts to to unfold a little bit. Um, I moved out of my parents' house at 15 years old and moved to Waynesburg, where I finished school there um, up to my senior year. Actually, right a month before I was going to graduate, I actually moved back to Uniontown and actually graduated from there. Um, you moved around a lot. Yeah, yeah. I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I guess nobody was really holding me accountable for anything, so I was free to, to do whatever I wanted. Well, let me ask you, were you a handful, or were you uh, a law-abiding citizen? Were you, what I think, was going on during those years? You know what, I think it was a, a mixture of both. Um, you know, I, I tell people all the time that everybody does stuff, it's just the people that get caught that get in trouble for it. <laughs> um, and I just wasn't one of those people. And, um, you know, I had a lot of life-changing experiences mm. at an early age. And after I graduated, I decided that I wanted to go to college. I went to Seton Hill University. Um, I was there for one semester before I joined the Marines. And I made that jump with uh, one of my friends from school. We were, you know, talking about everything. And, you know, we thought that the Marine Corps was the best fit for both of us. So we both went in and um, graduated boot camp in February of 2008. I was... 18 years old at the time, and then from there I went to the School of Infantry, which is in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Graduated from there, and then went to my unit, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, uh, which is 
Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville, North Carolina. And I was there for the next uh, three years of my life. Wow. Now, when you were just prior to uh, joining the Marines, were you an athletic dude? Were you, did you play sports? So there's a funny story behind all this. Um, I played football, baseball, and basketball. Okay. Baseball was probably my number one sport. Um, now, I'm sure. Were you I'll, a hitter? Could you hit the ball? I was, I was leadoff batter. Played center field, well, pitched. See, see, the reason I played football was I realized early on that my giftedness lay in the fact I couldn't hit anything smaller than a person. Yep. That's just the way it was. Hey. You got to know where you are. Listen, everything happens for a reason. You just got to <laughs> run with it. But um, so right now, you know, everybody listening can't see this, but um, I'm right around five foot 11, okay? And before I had gotten hurt, I was five foot three and a quarter. <laughs> so the great thing about getting both of your legs blown off in, Af- in Afghanistan is the fact that you can be as tall as you want afterwards. <laughs> and growing up, one of the things that I wanted to be was tall. I'm laughing because I know that it's okay with oh, you. Oh, trust okay. me. It's more right, than okay. Yeah. To anybody before they start on any moronic tirade, I yep. happen to know that it, yep. was, it was okay with No, them. it's 100% okay. But um, So now I, I get to be tall. So people ask me all the time do you regret what happened and I tell them no I mean I got to retire at 21 years old I'm taller than I used to be life is great what else could I ask for so um you know I could think of a lot of things but I'm not even gonna start yeah yeah I'm just I'm just digging being in your presence man hey I, I appreciate it thank you very much so you know I grew up playing football baseball and basketball and and I wasn't the biggest guy um you know, wasn't the fastest, wasn't the strongest, but you know, I had a, a drive, and I didn't never wanted to quit. So, you know, that's when that all started for me. And uh, I went to Seton Hill, was on the baseball team there, and um, you know, my family didn't really have any money. We didn't, you know, growing up. I guess the easiest way to put this, or how to put this into perspective, growing up, my parents never even had a. We didn't have a vehicle, so that's how poor we were. So, you know, college, you know, it was an option, but being $120,000 in debt Oof. when I was done with school didn't sound great at no. the time. And I thought to myself, there's a war going on right now. Um, I'm more than able to serve my country. Um, and I just felt like it was the right thing to do. So I left Seton Hill, joined the Marines, and ended up in Jacksonville, North Carolina with 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. What was your... Uh, first of all, why the Marines? Okay. So... You know, there's because they do say that Air Force, you know, the Air Force, Army, kind of a, Marines, very, Navy, very Coast Guard, so. kind of nice, you yeah. know. So the I'm Air just Force, being, I'm being gentle on that. My wife was in the Air Force Academy, yeah, yeah, and in the Air Force. But you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, at the Air Force, you know, they have their own McDonald's on some of their bases. I mean, it's yeah. very, very foo foo. Yeah. Now, is it, I don't know. I, I'm just saying. So I ain't saying. I'm just saying. I'm going to leave it to you, Marine. I felt like the way that I was brought up, you know. The Marine Corps was the best fit for me. The Army, we all know what the Army stands for. Um, ain't ready for Marines yet. So, <laughs> Oh, you know my what? son is going to have a fit about this. Hey, I love it. No, we, we all make fun of each other. Right. And if anybody that's been in the military knows that it's it's a huge family, and yes. it's, it's just something that we do. Um, you know, I love all those guys and girls, um, even the ones that I don't even know. You know, I, I love them with everything I have inside of me for everything that they've sacrificed, right. um, you know, for me and my family. But um, it's nice to, to joke around like that. Absolutely. And the Air Force, um, you know, I I never really even looked into the Air Force, to be honest. I knew that being 
you know, with, with my background and, you know, the sports being, you know, very physical that the Marines were usually the first ones in and the last ones out. And if I was going to do this, I wanted to, to do it right. And I wanted to have a purpose and I wanted to, you know, be right in the middle of everything that was going on. And I realized that the best chance of that was going into the Marine Corps. And, um, that's why I went with them and that's why I went infantry and that's why, um, you know, I ended up in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Now, which did you go first? Iraq was first. Okay. Um, How many deployments have you been on? Two. Two. Okay. Two in three and a half years. Whew. So Iraq was first, but at this point in the war, it was on the back end of it. The Iraq war was, was coming to an end. Um, we didn't really do much while we were over there. It's, it's really hard to explain. Um, we were basically just holding security for the base uh, the units that came before us and the Marines and the Army and the Navy and the Air Force did away with most of the Taliban that were over there. They didn't really want anything to do with us. And our job was just to make sure that nothing significant happened. Okay. So, and there, that's when I really started, you know, lifting weights and working out. I left there, you know, I, I got to Iraq weighing 140 pounds. I left there weighing 170, benching, you know, 440 pounds. Holy cow! So, that's when I really like fell in love with the gym and right. uh, started doing that whole thing. Let me ask you something: When you're over there and yeah. you're on deployment and you're when you're on duty, yeah, I mean it's got to be like an intensity because of the fact that at any time something could pop. Yeah, right? yeah. Even even in Iraq, you know, when we were there, you know, it was nothing compared to the the the, the men and women that were before us. But still, in the back of your mind, there's always that thought of, you know, what if somebody drives up in a vehicle loaded right. with, with explosives or what if somebody sends a rocket onto the base? Um, you know, there's always that thought because it could happen and it still happens over there to this day. Um, but we just learned to, to really deal with it and we learned to work together and that if something was going to happen, you had 50 other people there that were behind you and ready to take care of you. So really, um, you know, you had nothing to worry about. Now, would, would weight li- did weightlifting become your, your kind of like, this is my chill point. Yeah. I mean, this is something you could, you, 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 could, for you, it's just you and the weights, and that had to be something that kind of gave you a little relief. It was nice to just get away from everything. You know, you go into the gym, and really, it's just like, you know, your career or schooling. Whatever you want to make out of it, it's it's up to you. Like, you're, it's a one-man show. You want to go to the gym. You want to get in shape. You want to bench 500 pounds. You want to squat 1,000 pounds. It's on you. It's not on anybody else. Right. And you're in full control of that, and there's not very many things in your life uh, that are like that. Um, you know, and, and I like that aspect of it, and I like the fact that when people saw somebody like me, you know, five foot three, 150 pounds, benching almost 400 Because you pounds, hadn't grown to 5'11 yet. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So I was this, you know, little guy looked like, um, you know, I was still in high school and, you know, I, i I found that the gym was both, um, you know, not only good for my body, but it was good for my mind as well. Right. And it, and it allowed me, uh, to kind of step away from, you know, being a Marine for a little bit and just focus on, you know, lifting weights and trying to, to make myself better. Let me backpedal for a second. What was boot camp like for you? Okay. I've heard all kinds of horrors, you know, stories and everything else about boot camp. So it, what's the real deal? For me, and I think a lot of guys and girls will agree with this, it's more mental than it is physical. Um, when I was in boot camp, you know, we would run 
you know, three, four or five miles. Okay. And that really after getting to my unit, that was nothing compared to what we were doing at, at our unit. Mm. Just being told what to do all day, every day for a mm. hundred days. And I, when I say everything, what time to get up, wh- how to put on your socks, when to put on your socks, when to take off your socks, when to put on your pants, when to put on your shirt. <laughs> how to lace your shoes, how to tie them, when you can, you have to ask permission to use the restroom. You know, so wow. it's not something that, that you're used to. Boy, and, would that be bad if you were a dude over 50? Cause oh, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a lot of, hey, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at the time, you think that it's it's all fun and games, but looking back on it, seeing the bigger picture, you realize that everything that we did in boot camp was calculated and it was for a purpose um, mainly for when you're in combat, um, you know, in Afghanistan, somebody gets shot or blown up and your friends laying there and they need Mm. you, you're not, you can't hesitate. If you hesitate, people are going to die. And the whole reason for all of that stuff was, you know, we have an order. This is what it is. Don't question it. Don't ask, you know, why don't say no, this is what you have to do and do it whenever you're told to do it. And that was the reasoning behind it. And now I understand all that, but going through boot camp, you know, you wake up at 4.30 in the morning, you go to sleep at 8 o'clock in mm. the evening. I mean, who goes to sleep at 8 o'clock? I don't even know 12-year-olds that go to sleep at right, 8 o'clock. Right, So um, it was a, you know, a, a big change for me. Uh, the physical side of it really wasn't that tough just growing up in sports. Um, it was harder later in my career in the Marine Corps, for sure. So you go, your first deployment was to Iraq. Yes, yes. And how long was that? Seven months. About seven months. Yes. Okay. That's a pretty long time to be deployed. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the Army at the time, they were doing like 12 to 18-month deployments. So um, I didn't really have any reason to complain. Um, you know, I mean, we had other branches that were doing three, two to three times the, the amount of time that we were doing on a deployment. Um, so seven months, you know, it seems like a long time, but uh, those guys and girls in the Army – they were doing 18-month deployments over in Iraq, so they definitely had it a lot worse than we did. So they didn't mess with your gym time, right? No, no. I mean, <laughs> listen. Come on, you got to have some things that, you know, a little little purpose, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And our Iraq deployment, um, it was anything but hard. You know what I mean? It wasn't what people think it was. I don't try to make it seem like it was. Uh, but you got to understand the civilians like myself and everybody else here. You, we sit here pretty much all of you. You know what I mean? That you can say all you want about you know that's not all that hard. Hey, you were there. You did it. And the man in the arena is always the guy that gets the respect. Hey, I can't you know disagree with that at all. But what I try to tell everybody else also in response to that is, you know, imagine what I went through and you think that it's that it was tough or that it was hard. But what I picture are the other men and women, the stuff that they went through, you know, the, the guys and girls I was with at the hospital, you know, I'm missing two legs, but I was at the hospital with, with guys who were missing two legs and an arm, two legs, two mm, arm, mm. Uh, girls that were missing two legs, uh, mm. guys that took a piece of shrapnel to their brain and they can no longer feed themselves. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it that way, you know, what I went through is very minimal compared to the right. things that, that our other, you know, brothers and sisters around the country have went through. Okay, I'm tracking with you. That's, you know, that it's extremely difficult. We'll get to Walter Reed. I have been to Walter Reed. I went with uh, yeah. the Steelers one year, and we and I was privileged to be there. And uh, it just, um, it's incredible. But 
getting back to Iraq. You go to Iraq. Mm-hmm. You were there seven months, then you come back to come the back to the states. I get promoted to corporal, uh, become a squad leader. Um, I was in a mortar platoon, weapons company. Okay. So I was an O three forty one. So we had, um, you know, mortars. You know, sixty millimeter, eighty one millimeter mortars that we used. Basically, you know, you drop around into a tube, shoots out, and um, explodes, kind of like a rocket. How do you know where they land and when, how, when you should dial it back or put a little more juice to it? I always want – I'm just wondering. Yeah, so we have a sight on the gun. <laughs> Don't give any secrets away that you have listen, to kill me for, no, okay? Listen. Because you then you're going to do the show by yourself. <laughs> exactly, and I don't really think I can handle all that, so we need you. But anyways, um, we were – on the guns, they're set up – on a, a tripod and a base plate okay. and the tripod goes up and down which controls the elevation you have okay. a sight on the gun that you actually look down through and in front of the gun 25 to 30 yards you have these posts in the ground that you set like a metal stake and you line those up and you line it up with the sight and then you put the elevation on the gun and it tells you actually how high of an angle the round is going to go and that's how oh, you determine okay. the distance where it's going to land all that good stuff all right. Well, for those of us, Debbie, you know, Debbie's that want to know, I needed to know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it sounds like it's very complicating, but the school that I went to for uh, becoming a mortarman um, was right around two and a half months long. So, I mean, we were twelve hours a day, you know, seven days a week learning about mortars. But <laughs> you know, you can learn it. It's it's not impossible. Oh my heavens! I remember when my son went to West Point. And- I called him up, and I, I said, what'd you learn today? He says, we learned to throw hand grenades. Yep. I said, what? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I said, what, what'd you do while you're with the instructor? He goes, I paid attention, Dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've done that a few times, and um, if you ever get the chance, get on YouTube and uh, search, uh, you know, different Marines or Army mm-hmm. um, at the grenade range. You'll find oh, a lot no. of interesting things. Oh, my heavens, I can only imagine. Yeah. Okay, so you go to Rock, you come back. This time, where where are you at mentally, physically, and and where what kind of guy are you? Okay, so I I get back and I start reevaluating my decision to join the Marine Corps because um, now this is at this time. This isn't now. Um, this isn't my mindset now or, or anything like that. I just want to get that you know right. out of the way. Right. This is in this moment. I start reevaluating me joining the Marine Corps because I didn't join the Marine Corps to not go to war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wanted to experience those things. And sure enough, you know, eight months later, the, we, they tell us we're going to Afghanistan. And I'd been promoted. I was a squad leader. I had, you know, four or five Marines in my uh, squad working on my gun. And um, they tell us, hey, we're going to Afghanistan. That's when the big surge right. started. And they tell us it's going to be completely different than your your deployment to Iraq. And you know, as Marines, we we trained for that eight months, actually, like we were, you know, getting ready to go to war because that's what they told us, and we we really believed it, and that's what we wanted. And it might sound crazy, but that's everything that that deployment was. That's what we we wanted and what we were hoping for, and we wanted to experience that, and we actually wanted to do our job and uh, you know contribute and do everything that we could uh, for the people that came before us that you know got wounded or got killed, didn't make it home. So for the next eight months, you know, we would go on runs. I remember in the morning, you know, four thirty, five thirty in the morning with, you know, combat boots, pants and a T-shirt. And we'd run 20 plus miles, mm. we'd run out to the beach and then have buses take us back. Um, 
if we ever did anything wrong or messed up, we would do it on a Friday. You know, he'd run us 20, 25 miles so that we wouldn't be able to do anything on the weekend because we couldn't walk because we <laughs> right. were so tired. Right. Um, and that's, you know, at the time I was thinking, you know, why are we doing this? What is the, the reasoning? Because every, everything you do, you always ask why. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And looking back, you know, everything that our platoon commander put us through, once again, it was all for a reason. It was all calculated. It was to get us ready for what was going to happen in Afghanistan because we had no idea. Um, you know, none of our guys had ever been in combat, so we didn't know what to expect. And it comes about a month before we're getting ready to go, and our battalion commander, um, he hand-selected where each company and platoon was going to go. And sure enough, we got put in the most uh, violent area. He, mm. you know, he loved our platoon, the things that we were doing. Um and he, he really wanted us there to, to kind of handle everything. Brandon, I got to ask you, what? how does a man prepare to go into combat? As, you're, as you know, you're training, and you're, your training's taking you to this. And obviously, listen, God puts, you know, he puts his imprint on everybody. And not everybody's meant to be lawyers, doctors, yeah, athletes. Yeah, of course. Um, soldiers. You know, uh, first responders, that's why you have it. But to ramp up knowing that you're facing combat, that, that's got to take a special sort of an inner fierceness and a, a ability to flip a switch, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And what I think helps is the curiosity because none of us have ever done it before. So you have that want and that need to experience it. And once you experience it, you realize that it's not something that you want every day in your life. or So I, I, I truly believe that, you know, you have to, you know, try everything once. Give something a, a try before you, you, you can knock it. And where this is, is going, um, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. So we, we try to act as tough as we you can You just be. knew your hand head towards violence. A- exactly. Yeah. But we weren't sure what it was. And I think if we really would have known what it was, a lot of us wouldn't have been so eager to go over there i mean who would i mean think right. about it. it's just common sense can't even imagine um but at the same time this is what we signed up for this is our job our job is to go get shot our job is to get blown up our job is to look for the bad guys i mean that those are some of the things that um come along with the job description so we knew that and i was lucky enough to be with a group of guys that i can honestly say if we were in a room and somebody said hey either you or you are going to die both people in that room would say, all right, kill me. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's just, amazing. that's how they were. And, um, it made the deployment that much easier. Let me ask you, where were you at spiritually at this point? So, you know, at this point, cause I've had friends. Okay. Just say, I've had friends who said they had everything. They had the cross. They had the mm-hmm. Madonna. They had all kinds of stuff from every religion possible. Yep. Cause there's no, there's no atheists in foxholes. Yep. Is what they, it was what they, you know, I've heard. It was, you know, to be honest, for me, it was just non-existent. You know, I didn't think of, you know, I didn't have a Bible. I didn't think of, of God. I didn't think of any of that stuff. In your mind, were you 10 foot tall and bulletproof? I mean, yeah. that's the way athletes are on game day. Yeah. You project yourself as, you know, indestructible. And, and in combat, that's 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 not a game. That's is the I real guess deal. My mindset at the time was, you know what, I can think about dying all day and it can scare me. But you know what? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Whether I think about it right now for the rest of my life or I think about it tomorrow when I'm going to sleep, you know what? It doesn't matter how much you think about it. 
regardless, if you're supposed to die, you're going to die. That's all there is. So why spend that time worrying about it whenever you really have no control on it? I mean, when it comes to Afghanistan, we leave the base, we go on a patrol, um, and really that's all that, that, that we have but control in. looked any further. I mean, spiritually, I know where you, yeah. you're, you're not, know where you oh, are yeah. with Jesus now, mm-hmm. but back then I'm thinking, I don't know, I might want to oh, <laughs> ask yeah. a question or two beyond what's going on. You know, I mean, just because you're head, headed towards a chaotic, mm-hmm. uh, hellish experience that yeah. I, I can't even, I can't fathom. I just, I just had no, no desire at all to really even, you know, bring god or or any of that into my life i don't know why it was just it was just non-existent Hmm. for me at the time and um i think a lot of the guys were like that over there um we all pretty much had the same mindset and um it was just like i said it was just non-existent take me to uh september 29th or november 29th november 29th uh 2010 so that was the day that i'd gotten hurt um we were living in a house about a kilometer away from where our base was in Afghanistan. Our base was up on a hill, and there was a village on each side of the base. And we went to this other village on the other side of the base, and it was a vacant house. We set up in there, and we were going to rotate with the other section every other week. So we would have a constant presence in the village to keep the Taliban out of the area. Because up to that point, we had found, I think, like 90 IEDs in the first... 75 days that we were there so it was getting to the point to where we were spending all of our time digging ieds out of the ground and getting rid of them we weren't really doing our job so we wanted to have a constant presence to keep that from happening so we sent out a group of guys to do a security patrol we would do that like every hour or so and i'd just gotten back from a patrol with my guys we were sitting down talking about everything that that we saw on that patrol about five minutes into it uh, we hear an explosion. We know what it is. Mm. At this point, I've been involved in uh, three or four IED explosions where I was either the guy in front of or the guy behind somebody that stepped on an IED. So I have actually never stepped on one at this point, but I've been really close to it. Really close. And is there not something like uh, if you get your bell rung, like in the NFL, you get your bell rung a few times, you're supposed to sit out yeah, be out? Yeah, but that was another thing that was like non-existent, you know, Um Easiest way to put it for you would be, you know, you're getting ready to play in a in a huge game, and you know what, you know you got a concussion, but you know your guys are are they're they're counting on you. Right. What are All you right. gonna do? You know what you're gonna do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just how it is, um, and you know, I I knew that I probably could have had the opportunity to go seek medical treatment, but if none of my none of my guys were doing it, nobody else was doing it. Why, mm. why did I need it? Right. Uh, we're still able to do our job. Um, the first time I had gotten blown up was the first month we were there. And our platoon sergeant, been in the Marine Corps for about 20 years, um, we were on a patrol getting shot at from this building, same place every day for the past two weeks. We called in an airstrike. They blew it up, so we had to go assess the damage. And when we were doing that, it was getting later in the day. It got dark. We had to head back to base. We didn't want to be outside after dark, and we took a shortcut, and that's the mistake that we made. Um, We ended up going down uh, an alleyway that was laced with IEDs. I ended up stepping over it. He stepped on it, and I was a couple feet in front of him. Ended up taking his right leg, 
stomach, all that good Mm. stuff. And, you know, that really is what changed my life forever. He was still awake, still conscious um, while we're working on him. And he was still, like, directing people, telling people what to do, saying, hey, is so-and-so okay? Are you okay? Um, You know, call for a Mm. medevac, put a tourniquet here, um, stop the bleeding here. You know, this hurts, do this, do that. And it really showed me how selfless he was. Mm-hmm. And that's when things changed for me. Um, that's when I realized that it's no longer about you. It's about the people who are around you and right. the fact that we're here to serve other people. We're not here to serve ourselves. Um, it's okay to put people before you. And in, in doing that, your life is going to fall into place. Things are going to get taken care of. You just need to to you know put trust in that process and realize that it's not always about you um and this is your first month yeah exactly exactly so the next two months you know leading up to november 29th um we've had explosions here and there Uh, a couple (laughs) afghan um, i'm sorry yeah you know i i i know i know that you deal with this in a way and i love the way you are a little lighthearted about it and Mm -hmm. i appreciate that at the same time i'm sitting here and my heart is just like it just it just flip flops just knowing that you guys are facing this sort of thing, and it just it it almost makes you sick to think that, you know, men like you, brave men and women, put their lives uh, at risk day in day out for people like me that 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 don't that have never served. And it, first of all, it's so appreciated, and second of all, it's almost like you got to be a little bit lighthearted because it's too crazy intense. It. It, I mean, it, it is. You have to take it, um, you know, very lightly. And the reason that I do, one of the main reasons I do is, once again, going back to being at the hospital, what I went through is very minimal. And what I've done or what I've accomplished in my life is very minimal to the other men and women um, that were in similar situations. It just Talk is. about that's, perspective, It's man. the fact. That's the truth. Um, you know, it makes it a lot easier for me to get up in the morning and to work 15, 16 hours in a day because there are other people that have come before me that have done that and more. So once again, you know, what excuses do I have? What excuses does anybody have um, to not work their hardest or to, you know, give back every opportunity that they get? Oh, that's just awesome. If you just think about that for, you know, five minutes a day, you know, you could have that much better of a day and be that much more productive and be that much better of a person. If you just stop and think about, people that are around you and the things that they're doing and how hard they work and how giving they are and how, you know, they just want to see people succeed. Mm, That is, that's sensational. So the, the, the ramping up, you survive IEDs here, there, everywhere. Yeah. And then suddenly it's that day. So that day, you know, we just got back from patrol. We sent out a group of guys, uh, four Marines, and we hear an explosion. We know right away what it is. Um, We weren't sure if it was to the point where it was severe to where somebody had lost limbs because we've had instances where guys step on an IED, it's buried so deep that all it did is just blow them off their feet. They stand up and they're fine. They brush it off and you keep going. Well, you'd be high-fiving each other on that one, I think. We have. One of my Marines, actually, we have it on on film. He, He had a GoPro on. He stepped on an IED and literally just knocked him on his back. We're like cutting his pants off, trying to see where the the wound is, and there's nothing. He just stands up and walk away. Hey, you got to you got to be the happiest marine in oh, the world yeah. at that point if oh, you're yeah. that guy. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that has happened. So wow. I throw my gear on, grab a stretcher, and we sprint down to where he was, about 300 meters away from the house, and we see him. You know, he's laying in a hole, missing both of his legs, uh, right above the knee. He's still awake. Um, and this is when, you know, the, the training and all the um, advice that I've gotten so starts to kick in. We call for a medevac. It's on the way. We set up a cordon around the area, and our main goal is to get him away from the blast site because where there's one IED, there's usually 10 more. So I had a decision to make, you know, as a squad leader, do I stand here on security and make one of my younger guys go in and put him on a stretcher and carry him out? Or do I need to be that person that walks that stretcher in and walks him out myself? So... Right when I found myself asking that question, I already had known the answer before I even finished mm -hmm. with the question. I got to go in and get him because what if something happens to one of my other guys? I've already thought about it. I'd have to live with that for the rest of my life. I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to go in and get him. We'll pull him out and see what happens. So my friend is on the other side with him, and he's telling me, hey, you know, step left, step right, you know, trying to walk me down the path that they did to where no IEDs went off. On that third step, um, I end up stepping on an IED, explosion goes, uh, fly up in the air, you know, land on my back, missing my left leg below the knee. Uh, my right leg is still there, but it's actually spun around. So I try to stand up, and that's when I realize that it's broken, you know, in you know, 20, 30 places. Femoral artery had been cut, so I'm bleeding out pretty good. Um, I've broken my back, broken my arm, and out of everything that happened – I lost the tip of my trigger finger of all fingers. So that right there is like a sign that I don't need to be in the military anymore. <laughs> like, hey, you don't need to shoot anymore. You're good. We're going to take that trigger finger. You're killing me, man. Hey. You just described the worst moment of your life. And then you got to <laughs> smile and you're telling me about you, your trigger for tip of your trigger finger. Listen, fingers. that's the only thing I'm really upset about because if you think about it, legs are gone. I can be taller. It's all good. You know, I, Everything is good, but now when I go shooting, I have to modify everything that I've learned for the past five years, and I got to buy you know miniature you know compact pistols now because the trigger well is so big. So I got to get something smaller, and it really just messed everything up for me. You have taken away every sort of legitimate beef I could ever have for the rest of my life. I can't complain about anything. Hey, now. that that is what I hope. That is what I want. And when i when i tell people this i tell the people this because i do the same exact thing every day when i wake up i mean when i wake up i feel like i drank a bottle of vodka the night before i mean i just feel hungover that's how i feel my body's been so beat up you know at 20 28 years old but you know what i was at the hospital with a guy that took one piece of shrapnel to his brain and he no mm. longer right can right. feed himself mm. Mm. don't you think that he would He's probably praying for the fact that he could feel like he was sore yeah. from work that he's done. I'm tracking with you. I got you. So what excuses do I have once again? None. So, you know, back to, to that. Back to the moment. Yeah. So I'm laying there, and uh, my friend comes over. He starts working on me, and he's pretty convinced that are I'm not going to make it. Point, yeah, are you I'm, conscious at this point? Yeah, I'm conscious at this You're point. You're conscious on yes, this. Yes, yes. So... It was, you know, my Do body. Do you remember any any thoughts that were racing through your head at this moment? I'm I'm thinking I'm dead. You know what I mean? This is it. You know, I, 
because you start to feel like your body goes into shock you know what i mean and the only thing that hurt was my arm my arm was broken and it, i could just feel that for some reason and my breath started to get you know more shallow it felt like right. um somebody was like strangling me a little bit and that's when i was like all right this is happening you know i need to figure out um you know what i can do and they're talking to me and they put me on a stretcher they run an IV, get me all prepped for when the helicopter lands. Oh, and funny story, my friend's carrying me. <laughs> Please. Yeah. You can't say funny story in the Listen. middle of this. Oh, so, my heavens, man. There's there's a purpose behind this. So he's carrying me. And, um, and I'm only going to laugh because you're giving me permission to you, laugh. You have to laugh. Oh, man. You will laugh. Everybody in the room will laugh. So he, they're carrying me, and there's two people, you know, it's, it's a stretcher, so there's, you know, four handles on it, two people on each side. And my buddy is, he's a sergeant. He's been in for about, like, six years now. He's carrying me. And the one thing that he probably shouldn't have done, he does. He trips and drops me, and I start rolling. So picture this. You know, I have IVs in me, blood everywhere, missing both of my legs, I'm rolling down a hill like a barrel or a tire at a at a barrel race, okay? And I'm thinking, this couldn't get any worse. This, there's no possible way this could get uh, any worse. I can't help myself. You, no. This is just something. So they pick uh, me up, put me back on the stretcher, and they put me on the helicopter. And immediately I get hooked up, probably, you know, morphine or, or whatever, and I pass out, and I wake up. Two weeks later, back in the United States. So I'd went from a hospital in, or from the helicopter to a hospital in Afghanistan to a hospital in Germany and then back to Walter Reed. Oh my goodness. So your last thought was after, after your buddy trips yeah. and you fall and then you reload, get you back on, then they, they you get plugged in with morphine. Next thing you know, you wake up in Walter Reed? Yeah, crazy. Back in the ICU. So... The whole reason I told you guys about my friend dropping me, um, there's kind of a, another backstory to this. Okay. He's out of the, the Marine Corps now, and, you know, we all have bad days, right? Right. Everybody. Somebody tells you they don't have a bad day, they're lying to you. Well, I have bad days just like everybody else, days that I'm not motivated. And when I'm not, I remind myself of what happened. At least I didn't drop my best friend when he was about to die in Afghanistan and roll down a hill and almost kill him from an IED that almost killed him. So he's out. He has He's married, has a couple kids. And regular job, you know, wakes up just like everybody else, 4.35 in the morning, gets ready for work. I'll wait until about 2 or 3 in the morning on, you know, like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night after I've had, a you know, a bad couple of days or a bad week, and I'll call him until he answers. And... You know, he'll, he thinks something's wrong every time. You know, what's going on? Why are you calling me at 2 in the morning? Are you okay? Do I need to do anything? And I'm like, oh, no. You know, I just had a bad day. And, <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. And, you know, I just had a bad day, but. Cut it out. You remember that day in Afghanistan when I was about to die and you thought it would be a good idea to drop me? And he starts crying. I hang up the phone, don't say a word, and I go to sleep, and I'm good for a solid month. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so you know what? Sometimes you just you got to take care of yourself. So 
I figured, you know what? He'll, he'll oh, get over it. Oh, that is spectacular. Yep, he'll get over it eventually. But I will probably do that for the rest of my life. And he knows it. So, I mean, it is what it is. So, so you're, 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 you're ripping your buddy yeah. uh, who, who thought it was funny, and you're just calling back. But it, it's almost it's amazing. I mean, the bond you and he must have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many of us you know, in in that platoon that, that have that type of bond. And, you know, he, he might be upset for a couple of days, but he'll eventually get over it. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about it and everything. And he knows that it's going to be coming in a couple months again. So he kind of, you know, prepares for that. But, now, um, listen, I know you've pulled some people out. Yeah, I mean, we've... Tell me about that a little bit. Hey, listen, you know, I mean, you talk about the one, you got to talk about the other. You have served with great honor we've in this had, country. You know, we've had a lot of opportunities, um you know, as a platoon and as a squad, uh, you know, to do everything that we could for other people. And, um, you know, whenever I got hurt the first time, whenever my platoon sergeant stepped on that IED, um, I was just thinking the whole time about what we could possibly do to, like, save, to save his life. That was the only thing that was on our mind. And it wasn't just me. It was everybody that was there. And the helicopter, unfortunately, couldn't land right where we needed it to it was about 150 meters away so i still have legs at this point so i'm you know five foot three 140 this is another day this is when your buddy was in the alley right yeah yeah so you know back to that story a little bit um we had to get him to the helicopter and like i said earlier there's you know when there's one ied there's usually 10 more so i thought to myself he's you know six foot three you know 250 pounds Mm. i can't carry him with all of this gear on so i you know took my gear off and i threw him on my back and i carried him as far as i could carry him and then they threw him on a stretcher and got him to the helicopter and you know when i said earlier about you know how that moment changed my life when i got over to the helicopter before it took off you know i'm standing there and you know never smoked cigarettes in my life and i'm covered in his blood like hundred percent, my we have desert camis, but they look like they're you know blood red. Mm-hmm. And I grab a pack of cigarettes from my buddy, and I just stood there for maybe an hour and just smoked <laughs> nonstop. I don't no idea why. <laughs> I'm blood dripping off of me, and I'm just smoking oh my cigarettes. Goodness. And I got back to the base, and you know I thought about everything that had happened, and that's when I like realized that they don't care what rank we are, they don't care how old we are, none of that really matters at any given moment any single one of us could get shot or blown up and that could be the last day of our Mm, lives yep it could happen to any of us i remember taking you know my my stuff off and i ended up keeping the pants that i had on but the shirt i ended up you know we burned it um just because there was i mean we didn't have running water we didn't do laundry none of that stuff over there and i didn't want to wear a, a bloody right shirt a reminder right, right. of him every single day you know what had happened but um you know moving forward you know after i'd gotten hurt and now then, we're back to the 29th yeah right, so okay you know I, I woke up back in the hospital and um it was december first or second week in December. Now, just so people understand, you we're talking about you just saved a man's life. Okay, and and let's just say it like it is, okay? Because I know people like you, you don't want to say what you've done, but the fact is you saved a man's life and that is something that um I'm sure he says thanks and I'm sure 
other people say thank you. When, when I say thank you for your service, I'm thanking you for all of that, oh, for all of us. Yeah, no, thank you. And I want you to know that. And, you know, to be fair, um, I just I can't personally put it in the same category as that because I was getting paid to do a job. Okay, and, but I can do that for you. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And thank you for the hero that you are, and I mean that with I, all my heart. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so let's much. go back. Now, just because I had to get that out there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's just me. That's what I got to do. Yeah. All right? No, thank you. I appreciate it. But, um, you know, back to, you know, I got to Walter Reed, and I woke up in the ICU, and um, I've, I knew what had happened, but... I, it didn't like register yet. Were you that hoping that maybe this was something uh, like a bad dream yeah, or something? Yeah, so I, like I knew what had happened, but in my mind, I didn't want to like believe it. So I'm laying there, and I don't know why, but for some reason, I like reach down and I'm like to feel my legs, and I'm like, oh, you know, they're really gone. This really happened. So my right leg, they had amputated it all the way up to the hip. So I, had, when I was laying there, I had had a right leg. I was thinking, you know, maybe they can fix it, and. It had they had amputated it all the way up to the hip. My left leg was amputated uh, below the knee. Um, I had these things on the end of my leg. It's called a wound vac. Okay. So it's a you know a tube that goes into the end of the leg and it basically just drains out any of the infection or bacteria that would have been in there. Um, a lot of people don't realize in these IEDs they would put like nails and nuts and bolts and are you kidding? All this other stuff inside of them to make the, the injuries that more significant. Okay. I gotcha. So, you know, I remember this wound back. I'll remember it for the rest of my life. It was the, the worst thing I've ever, one of the worst things I've ever experienced. Just the pain, like, it's like a vacuum sucking out, you know, uh, the bacteria and the blood and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I think about that stuff all the time. And, you know, one of my friends comes in, I'm talking to him. You know, I have family that starts getting there. I'm talking to them. And then, you know, this next, I think, six months or so, you know, I lived at the hospital. You know, I had somebody doing everything for me, uh, you know, feeding me, going to the bathroom, all that good stuff. And at that point, I had went from, you know, 140 pounds right around 50 pounds. So, you know, I looked like a skeleton pretty much. And then that's, you know, where the therapy started, all the different, you know, emotions and feelings that I was going through. You know, 21 years old, am I ever going to, you know, get married and have kids, have a family? Brandon, did you? I'm sorry, but your family did. Did you have family members come? Yeah, to you? yeah. So okay. you know, my mom and dad, my brother, sister, um, you know, they all came down. Uh, my family was there for a good, you know, good portion of it. Um, mm. You know, the first couple weeks of the recovery, and then you know, I started, you know, to transition, and I, I, you know, I let everybody know that you know, I, I appreciate all the help and the support, but there's gonna come a point where I have to start doing things for myself. And the sooner I start doing that, the faster I'm going to get out of here and the easier the rest of my life is going to be. And, you know, I want Now, that's not something that just comes about arbitrarily. You have to make a decision to move that direction. Am I, am I on track with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And what that comes from were the other men and women that were at that hospital and seeing them towards the end of their recovery and seeing how great their life was and how much progress they had made you know, that alone, you know, motivated me. And at the time, so many people were getting hurt that there were guys coming in, you know, missing both their arms and a leg. And I'm thinking, well, I got both my arms, so, you know, I'm good. I'm already a step ahead of the game here. Um, 
there isn't really anything that I can't do. What name something that I can't do because I lost my legs. I couldn't think of anything. Um, so once again, it goes back to the, you know, having excuses thing. Whether you have your legs or not, you can make excuses all day on why you can't do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my situation, I feel like I have that ability now to motivate somebody to the point to where it could change their life completely to where, you know, they, they're not in school, they're not in college, but you know what? Now they're going to go to school or they're going to start going to the gym or they're going to start, you know, start their own business. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. So it'd be another opportunity um, that I would be wasting if I didn't use that to motivate other people. Man. Oh man. It's almost like, I feel like people are depending on me, you know, and they're not, but I feel like, if I was just to just give up and just go home and, you know, watch Jerry Springer all day for the next 20 years of my life, that not only would I be ruining my life, but I'd be ruining so many other people's lives, too. And that's I mean, it's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, I do it to myself and I use that to motivate me and to keep me going. Brandon, did you see I mean, it was just something that came quickly to you or was this a long drawn out process that kind of. That one step led to another. You know, one step definitely led to another. You know, for the first seven months I was at the hospital, you know, I played that, you know, boo me game. You know, this doesn't happen to anybody else. Why me? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then people would come into the room and from, you know, we'd have people from all over come visit. And I remember specifically somebody coming in and saying, hey, you know, we're from so-and-so church. Can we pray for you? Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, if God was real, this wouldn't have happened to me. Mm. And that's when, you know, I started to think about things spiritually and think about that side of it and understand that I was looking at things completely differently. And what I needed to do was was realize that I'm still alive because of God, because of that reason. I was kept here for a reason. And that reason now is to share my story and to motivate people and to help people get through the difficult times in their life. So your suffering aids somebody else in their suffering. Exactly. Yeah. And it's very true in first Corinthians twelve twenty six it says if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it, talking about the body of Christ being together and then suffering together. But your suffering can enable somebody else to be their suffering to be alleviated exactly and you don't know what what people are going through i mean everybody goes through something traumatic in their life but unless we talk about it and we share it with other people how are we supposed to help each other get through those things you know it goes back to you know we're not here for ourselves we're here to serve other people if you've been through something traumatic in your life i think it's a hundred percent up to you and your responsibility to share it with other people, to talk about it, because you don't know whose life you're going to affect. You don't know if somebody else is going through something similar or maybe even something worse. And the fact that you showed the slightest bit of motivation through that, you might be helping them get through it, and you could change their life to the point to where they're they're able to function again. They're able to do things for themselves, and they're able to get through uh, the traumatic experience or the adversity that was in front of them. Where did find something you, you, you die for and live for it? Where did that come from? So I was laying in my hospital bed, and one of the Marines from the hospital, um, he was kind of like my section leader when I was there um, wounded. He brought a placard in. It was like a – you ever been to, like, Hobby Lobby or a store like that? They have, like, those little wooden signs, mm-hmm. and they have quotes on them. And he came in, and he set it by my window, 
and gave it to me and it said you know find something you would die for and live for it and that is something i mean i i write it i'll I'll, i have like chalkboards you know dry erase boards in my house all over and i'll just find myself randomly writing it to remind me to say it to myself every single day because that alone allows me to keep moving forward just just hearing those words right um you know, can whether, you can you feel yourself go backwards if you do not proactively push yourself forward? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. Um, so for people out there that might say who might be having a problem, something like that, and say, "Well, it, I keep slipping backwards." What would you say to that? The fact that you you can acknowledge that is already a step in the right direction. Because I I can honestly say this: I don't care how much money I make in my life, how successful I've been, how many people know who I am. I, now, when I say this, listen very closely to the words that I say. I will never be content with what I've done in my life. And when I say that, I will never – I'll always have that need. And you that will want. be thankful, but I, you know, I, I, you're I, moving forward is exactly. what you're telling me. There's, I don't think there's ever a point in your life where you've made too much money or you've you know, helped out too many people or you've you – know, closed so many business deals or you've done so many radio shows or done so many uh, talk shows or won so many football games, there's always a want and a need to do more. And you can never, ever lose that. The second that you lose that, you're going to be stuck in that position in your life forever. Mm. What's your message now as you carry forward? What I want people to realize and most of all to take from you know, anything that I do, whether I'm speaking somewhere or just talking to somebody, you know, all of us go through traumatic experiences in our life. And when those traumatic experiences happen, we're given two options, lay down and quit or stand up and fight. And if you choose that second option, every single time you will get through whatever it is that's in front of you. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a a brick wall. If you try to fight through that brick wall, you'll find a way to get through it. I mean, that's just, that's how it is. And if we can be more open and talk about the things that we've been through um, and educate people, because if I didn't talk about the things that I've went through, people wouldn't, might not understand, you know, what an IED is or, you know, what it's like uh, to step on an IED and to lose both your legs. Um, And if you're not educated, how are you supposed to, you know, support a veteran nonprofit if you don't know what the veteran nonprofit's about or how are you supposed to support um, you know wounded veterans if you don't know what a wounded veteran has gone through um, I don't talk about the things that I went through because I want somebody to say thank you and, and just be in awe I want people to understand and realize that what I went through is minimal compared to what some of these other people have went through and then we go back to Vietnam our Vietnam veterans yes. that came home think about how we failed them as a country, oh, you're think about kidding. it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could talk about this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And if I was alive back then, I probably would be in jail right now hmm. because I couldn't, I don't think I could just, I don't think I could experience that and let people, you know, get away with that. I don't know what I would do. Um, because if you think about that situation, those men and women, th- those men were were drafted they weren't given a choice right they were told this is what you're going to do you're going to go over here and fight this war and this is what's going to happen and then they come home and we treat them as if um you know they were on a vacation for the past two years three years four years of their life 
Um, and it was horrific over there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what people, what their mindset was back then. But the whole, you know, all the the way that things unfolded and how that played out, it's another reason why I was treated so well while I came home. Those Vietnam veterans were the the first ones that were there making sure that I got everything I needed from the VA, mm, make yes. sure that I had everything I needed. If I needed to go to the grocery store, I needed help, you know, doing something at the house. Those were the guys that were there. So it's, it's almost like, I feel like it's my duty now to make sure that they get the recognition that they deserve. Um, because they never really got it. So Brandon is, is you sit here and you say, find something you die for and live for. What is yours? Mine is my my other you know brothers and sisters that didn't make it home or the ones that you know what they might not feel um any self-worth or feel like they're appreciated or feel like what they did um meant anything to anybody um i want them to know that every single thing that they experienced or sacrificed or went through um, is appreciated and that you know what um whatever they're doing with their life now they can always remember the fact that you know what, they served their country, they did it honorably, and nobody can ever take that from them. You know, it's just amazing. I'm trying to take in everything <laughs> that you, you, you bring, and it's huge. How can people get in contact with you? How, um, where, where do they? You what? know, on social media. Okay. Um, Facebook and Instagram is real big um, for me. My first and last name, Brandon Rumball. Um, I have a website, www.brandonrumball.com. Um, there's a, a mes- message board on there. People can send direct messages. Um, but the easiest way would be on Facebook or Instagram. You know, send me a message. Um, I'd be happy to talk about, you know, anything. I don't care what I have people all over the country that reach out to me. Um, just recently I had a kid. Um, I have one of those those tank wheelchairs mm-hmm. that are made up in Slippery Rock, Track Fab. Right. Uh, this kid from Iowa, you know, 15 years old, reached out to me. You know, said that uh, his family was saving money for it, um, and they cost cool. like twelve or thirteen grand. And uh, you know, he just had some questions about it. So his family had a little bit of money saved up, and um, I said, you know what? I know people all over the country. I'm gonna start reaching out to these people, and we're gonna buy him a wheelchair. I'm gonna go up and pick it up and drive it to his house in Iowa one day, and just you know, <laughs> surprise it. To get you know, just give it to him. Yeah. This kid has a he's 15 years old, has a rare form of muscular dystrophy. Uh loves fishing hunting doing all those things and he can't do it Mm. um and lack of money should not be uh, a reason for not being able to enjoy your life Mm -hmm. um i feel like it's our duty to make sure that he gets everything that he needs um in order to to be a kid to have those experiences um because when he gets older um, he's going to remember these things and then in return he's going to want to do something for somebody else and um, he might be able to change somebody's life later as well how do you take a tragedy and turn it into a positive like this overall? I mean, we've been through kind of some of it, mm-hmm. but if you had to summarize it, when you look at, I mean, surely you could not picture yourself doing this when you were the five three, oh, yeah. uh, four hundred pound bencher and everything no else. Um, but what does it take from a man to turn what could have been the end of your life on November twenty ninth, two thousand ten, to make it the starting point of something incredibly new? You know what? I never gave myself an option. Um, if you just tell yourself every day that, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. There's nothing else, you know, not accomplishing this or not, um, you know, doing this. That's just not an option anymore. It's not. Um, and when you have people 
that that rely on you like you 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 find your why um whether it's your family if you have kids or it's your parents or you know what maybe you just you want to you want to be rich one day if that's if that's what you want to do then hold on to that and use that to motivate you and to push you to whatever it is that you want to accomplish um i'm i mean for me it's the fact that i i I mean i call it a gift now what happened to me you know losing Mm -hmm. both of my legs was a gift because it's allowed me to reach so many people and allowed me to use it as a platform uh to motivate people and to help people with whatever it is that they're going through so you know the taliban gave me the greatest gift anybody could ever give me um and that's that's the way that i look at it brandon you are one of my new heroes brother i am just so privileged and thankful to have spent time with you here young man god bless you and in your future endeavors to serve and help others to reach up and, and and help other people who uh it's hard to say less fortunate but you're amazing you're hey, just amazing uh, man hey I've, I've i've had a good um you know support system and i've been surrounded by good people and i tell people this all the time you know if you want to be something in your life surround yourself with people that are actually doing something with their life um and it can go the opposite way if uh you hang around people that, that drink long enough or you hang around people that, that do drugs long enough, eventually you're going to do drugs. So hang out with people that are doing positive things um, and you know feed yourself with all the information that you can, and um, there's no way you can fail as long as you stay positive and keep moving forward. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for the courageous work that you're doing and for the courageous man you are. I appreciate you, hey, brother. No, thank you. I appreciate it a lot. All right, that's a wrap, and uh, I would – will you come back sometime? Whenever you want. You tell me when, and I'm here. Get out. All right, good. I yeah. like that because I would like to keep up with you. No, you are. Yeah. I don't know that I can keep up with you, come to think of it. <laughs> you move around so much. But anyhow, that is Marine Corporal Brandon Rumball. How do you do it? Uh, hoo Is that right? Hoorah. Hoorah. Oh, I, I screw, <laughs> see, I screwed it up. Listen, one job. You give me one job, and I screwed it up. But anyhow, thanks for coming by, yeah, brother. I appreciate, appreciate it, brother. And thank you for uh, – uh, downloading this uh, podcast. This is a Craig Wolfley podcast, and we'll be back next time with uh, somebody else. But uh, I don't know how much you can get any better than this. This is the best. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is the Pittsburgh Podcast Network.